1: Hello. Um, Today we are going to be discussing transnational modern languages, um, and specifically transnational modern French studies, transnational French studies, um, which is a book within a series published by Liverpool University Press, which advocates studying languages and cultures through their interactions, rather than as isolated national traditions. This series demonstrates the academic, cultural, practical and commercial value of modern language research, when framed as a transnational cultural inquiry. And so this series of books targets students specifically and the collection as a whole and individual essays in our specific edition that we're going to discuss today, illustrate how transnational and transcultural approaches expand the scope of the French language. This is accomplished by broadening potential research objects, applying multifaceted methodologies and explicated and explaining well articulated examples. So the book is divided into four sections following the introduction that is co-written by Claire Launchbury and Charles Forstick, who are here with us today and who I'll introduce in a minute. Um, and the four sections are languages, spaces, temporalities, and subjectivities. And within this remit, we move from literature to sociolinguistics, to video games, to comics, uh, which may or may not be really French. Um, and now I might just introduce um, Claire and Charles. So Claire Launchbury is currently teaching in Communication, Media and Cultural Studies at Oxford Brookes University. And in addition to her scholarship, which concentrates on cultural and therapeutic translations of memory, the archive and testimony, with a particular focus on Lebanon, she is a photographer and publishes widely on contemporary events. Her monograph is entitled Music, Poetry and Propaganda, Constructuring French Cultural Soundscapes at the BBC during the Second World War. And also today we have with us Charles Falsdick, who was until recently the James Bower Professor of French at the University of Liverpool. Um, he is the Lead Fellow for Languages at the British Academy and the and he's a member of the Academy of Europe and has just taken up the Drapers Professorship of French at the University of Cambridge. He is a specialist of French colonial history and the Francophone Caribbean and has worked extensively on the commemoration and memorialization of slavery in both France and the UK. Uh, thank you both for being here today and having made the time. Um, so perhaps, um, unless we have any immediate things to say, I might just we might just begin with discussing the introduction. And you both mentioned when we kind of had a pre-discussion um, over the internet that the airport is a particularly salient p- potentially point of departure for us to begin this discussion with as the symbolic point of entry, perhaps, into what transnationalism means in the context of the French language um, and French identity and the barriers and boundaries and transgressions of kind of national boundaries when thinking about French. Um, we could perhaps begin by discussing the Maspero example that you mentioned, so, and perhaps do a little recap, which I can definitely do, of Les Passagers du Rossi Express, which was is a travel chronicle written um, in 1990 that kind of sets out the airport as not necessarily the non-place, the non-lieu, that it was described as in Marc-Augé, but a way of kind of perhaps pluralizing what what Frenchness means. I don't know if you, anyone would like to jump in on kind of what the main kind of salience of the airport was um, and why you picked it as a point of departure, perhaps,
2: for for the whole edition. Do you want me to go, Charles?
0: I'm happy to start, or uh, Claire, honestly, it's up to you. It's go, up to go you. For
2: it. No, go for it, Charles.
0: Right. One of the really important things about this book and the, the series in which um, it, it features is we're looking to move beyond abstract understandings of transnationalism and to root them in concrete examples and, crucially, I think, in concrete locations. So when Claire and I were discussing the beginning of the introduction so this is what we hope readers will engage with initially we decided the airport was was an essential illustration really of of the 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 complex issues in the book and i should note that claire several years ago uh, 2017 claire 16 i think it was 2016 um claire organized a magnificent conference um at what was then the institute for modern languages research um on the um cultural meanings and many other meanings um, of, of the airport. So we decided to focus on um, Roissy-Charles de Gaulle. Um, part of our argument is that nation states use airports, particularly through the ways in which they name them, um, as a way of, of performing um, the, the coherence um, of um, the the nation it, 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 in France with voici Charles de Gaulle, it's obviously the the, cho- the choice as is so often the case of of a great man uh, or somebody considered to be um, uh, uh, a great man who who designates the the airport. So the airport on the one hand stands for um, a nationalist ideology, but clearly anybody who's visited an airport anybody who's been behind the scenes at an airport um, realises that it's it's this uh, porous place where the nation meets the world. Um, And so for us, um, the the airport was a transnational site par excellence. It was a a place through which elite travellers, um, what Susan George calls fast castes come into the nation. Um, but it's also a place of more clandestine journeys, and it's the place of deportations as well, state-enforced deportations um, of those who 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 are considered undesirable in the nation. So that was the choice of it as place. And then we moved on to think about particular texts. Now, Claire and I um, both have an interest in Maspero's Les Passagers du Oissy Express, which is this remarkable piece of literature from 1990 written in the wake of the bicentenary um, of the um, French uh, French Revolution, um, which tried to do that work. Um, so taking the RERB line, looking at the journey from the airport into the centre of Paris, into the southern um, banlieue, slowing down that journey and allowing people to understand that what's often seen as a, a tourist route, a means of getting as quickly as possible from the airport to the centre of Paris is, in fact, a remarkably multicultural, multilingual, um, diverse place, um, which throws open the idea of the French nation being in any way homogenous. Claire, well, anything to add?
2: Um, well, yes, and, and just to, to sort of, I mean, we did specifically choose Rossi and not Orly, for example, and I think the interesting thing about the Maspero text is the the weighted ends, so, so the, the bit from from Versailles into Paris is so much more substantial in that book than the the journey through the southern suburbs down to Orly, which is it, which is culturally perhaps more um, homogenous, I guess. But it, it it there's a fascinating sort of um, diversity within the book, even that illustrates this um, uh, kind of socio economic socio-demographic um, imbalance in, in and around Paris. And I think the other thing was, you, you were asking about travel writing earlier. Um, the point about that book is that, you know, you spend this time in these places that people very rarely stop at. Um, and that was, isn't it, your sense of vertical travel, Charles, that, you know, you're suddenly concentrating on these extraordinary places. And actually at the conference, we had Will Self come to talk which was wonderful because he hates airports. That was part of the reason for for inviting him. But he has done the, the that, that that sort of psychogeography about walking to airports and the fact that if you stop near, he throws it Harmondsworth is this it's this incredibly ancient sort of medieval town which has got this whole culture that is sort of independent of um, the airport that takes you straight into straight in, in, into London. Um, and I think getting that kind of almost the the chronological as well as the spatial kind of aspect of of traveling into the, the state sort of curated space of an airport of and and, and its presentation as charles was outlining um named after charles de gaulle we wanted a picture of the airport the of the of the concrete i mean talking about concrete spaces we wanted the concrete brutalist um the, the common bear isn't it the, the of um at the airport but we, and we, we, but we didn't we we couldn't we couldn't find the right photo couldn't get the permissions but um but but from from that through to um the the the, the, the sort of immediate diversity which the, the passing tourist might you know doesn't stop to um doesn't stop to see if they're taken in on that um, on that express journey into paris
1: yeah, know that's really interesting and, it it, and
0: guess... it it was terminal 1 we were particularly interested in um and we talk about it a bit in the um in, in 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 the um in the introduction but it really was this sort of futuristic statement through architecture of an airport as 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 to um how in the second half of the 20th century, France would continue to assert itself as, as, as a global power, as a nation state, which um, was to be taken seriously on on, on a world stage. So um, I think there was that aspect. But as, as Claire said, and I, I'm pleased you mentioned that, Claire, um, in Maspero, um, it's very much that idea of uh, a deceleration of travel as he goes through the banlieue, and and a, a method that I think a number of our our authors pick up on too, this almost sort of palimpsestic method. So the the risk is that 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 um within French culture, as in you know, many cultures, there can be this sort of national, if not nationalistic, veneer. And one of our jobs as 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 researchers and teachers is to strip away layers, and to to understand different histories, different languages, different cultures, um which are there below the surface. Um, and sometimes just need a little bit of sensitivity um in the way we look and listen and smell and and um and, and 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 even feel um to understand that transnational complexity which is always already embedded in the nation.
1: Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And just to kind of tie up what you both said as well, it seems that the deceleration corresponds with this kind of the actual um kind of real spatial setup of between Roissy and Paris inside the Peripherique, which are kind of, as you said, this kind of concrete structures surrounding Charles de Gaulle, but also the kind of Peripherique itself. It's like these two enclaves that are kind of shuttled between with this train. And looking at the actual kind of spread of human lives between those two places is also kind of interesting. I've kind of cycled out of Paris and the distance that Paris unofficially extends to is kind of tens of kilometres. Uh, yeah and so it's yeah that's really really interesting um, and I'm sure we'll return to kind of the concepts of space as we continue um, two other things I wanted to maybe note or or maybe have you both elaborate on um, that really came through in the introduction um, was perhaps just this idea and this very kind of powerful perhaps kind of rhetorically powerful idea of undoing the conflation of monolingualism. And monoculturalism um which came through very strongly in um in the introduction and obviously was a really major thing to address i think kind of first thing on which is the idea that kind of to transcend or to kind of challenge the idea of the nation it's a key word i'm quoting you guys now but the nation is a key word that all students of france must interrogate in its historic and semantic complexity and you also quote the historian Silas devil saying that kind of one of the key aims and perhaps kind of means of going about transnationalism is not so much to ignore the nation, but to interrogate it critically and to place it in a comparative global context. And we've kind of gotten at that through talking at the airport, but I didn't know if there was maybe in relation to francophonie or kind of, you you also mentioned le pacte avec la nation, uh, uh, kind of between French language, literature or cultural production and the nation state. If there was anything else you kind of wanted to add thereupon, um,
0: perhaps not, which is also funny. well. There's a there's a there's a huge we, there's a huge amount to say on that. <laughs> Claire, do you want to come in first?
2: Um, uh, well, I can talk about um, La Francophonie and it's actually just trying to kind of know what, where to start with actually that 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 kind of thing, and um, maybe what I will, and um, maybe I'm short cutting to something that we wanted to get to later but we had when we were discussing about how to use this book um i made a sort of semi-flippant comment about french studies isn't just baguettes and berets and and these that the, and, and that it became um be, because actually those things and and are, are neither neither of them are actually very essentially French and, and um, you know they, they come from the traditions of the berry there's a, a whole Hungarian um, baking method for the baguette and I think we were very keen to kind of show how the uh, the nation language uh, major symbols of it are actually very um, well, well, effectively transnational, but, but you know that the, there is so much within that, and so much richness within that. That, that, that the, the, the homogenization of language, culture, uh, nation is 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 a great disservice to the multiplicity of the multiple generative encounters that take place um, across objects, across spaces, across um, bits of cultural production
0: yeah just just to support what 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 claire's saying um i think for us that that concept of 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 the transnational um in some of the ways claire's just described w- was very much rooted um in in discussions of language and that that's why you'll have seen amber that that our first section is on language um and we we begin with um with simon gaunt's brilliant essay on French as a transnational language um, before the the nation, um, as you've suggested, there are very very few major nations which don't try and articulate their identity and indeed wield their power through um, through a dominant language. Um, it's just true in the U.S., although clearly in the U.S. there are fascinating dynamics in terms of the relationship between between English and Spanish, but to a certain extent it's even truer in France and and i i, I think that's what what emerged from our conversations, you know, Claire, as Claire suggested, we, we had extensive conversations around shaping this book and around, particularly around the, what, what we hope is a, is a very helpful, substantial introduction. Um, but in in France, um, there is this ethno-linguistic nationalism um, which goes back in particular to um, the time of the revolution and, and its aftermath, um, whereby the coherence Following the ancien régime of the French nation-state um, depends on a centralised take on on language, and in particular in particular the um, the French language. Now, as Simon Gaunt demonstrates. That goes very much against um the historical multilingualism of the space we now call um france, and as in in the second chapter robert blackwood i 'm um, looking in particular at um language in cyberspace but also the linguistic landscape makes it clear that the, the lived reality and amber, if you go to those those spaces in in the banlieue of Paris that you 've just alluded to, the lived reality is profoundly multilingual it, um it, it it's some um, that there's a cacophony of different languages um, coexisting um, in in France. So I think what we were trying to do was to to prise open the tension between that ideological adherence to monolingualism and the the, the multilingual reality. Even in France itself, where there are all sorts of issues around the recognition of languages other than French, whether those are heritage languages like Brittany uh, like, like Breton um, or um, Catalan or Basque or their more recently arrived world languages like um, like Arabic, which is systematically marginalized in the formal education system um, in in France so so yeah we've we very much foregrounded language debates in our framing of um transnationalism and we're interested you you quoted that, that idea of the the, the pact um, with, with, with the nation we're interested in as you've said the way in which cultural production provides a space in which um those tensions between the monolingual and the the, the multilingual um are um brought to to the fore um Literature Monde, the manifesto you quoted, was an unusual phenomenon in that it claimed to diversify French literature and French culture, but did so monolingually, I think, um, by um, sort of reasserting the value of French. If you look in other genres um, like film, though, and we had an excellent chapter by, by Gemma King, um, there is a very clear tradition. In recent years but it, it, it goes back to the earlier 20th century of a um, multilingual aesthetics in in french cinema um, which hasn't necessarily been recognized as such. And if you look closely at French literature as well, particularly the phenomenon of the translingual writer, so or the exophonic writer, as the French sometimes call them, authors born into one language, but who have then migrated often geographically and linguistically to France and, and to French, then suddenly you see this glorious multilingual poetics, which underpins what appears to be um, a monolingual French literary tradition.
1: No, completely. And I think there was also, I can't, I'm trying to remember who it was now, but, There was also a really interesting discussion of kind of migrants the idea of kind of assimilation um into a french identity or the the difficulties um and the difficult circumstances surrounding that that are tied to kind of language and kind of a very kind of um set idea of kind of what french identity is and there was someone who discussed uh picasso and people that kind of moved to france and very easily kind of acquired a french identity Vis a vis, and I, I'm just trying to remember who that is. But, I um, think so. Is it, I, is it my I think chapter? A,
0: yeah, I, I'm, I'm saying I, oh, I, I think. Right, I think it's, it's actually no, no, no. Saying... We, was... we touched on the introduction, but then it's it's Claire's chapter on transnational fraternity. Which, oh, which really get, it gets to the heart of those issues. No, not at all. Sorry, you know. Uh, um,
2: yeah, and 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 um, that there, there, there is a book. Um, is it called uh, "Ils sont devenus français"? and it it traces it traces the the you know the archival traces of of people who became who became French and it's galsburg Sarkozy and 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 As-Nuvon, you know and 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 celebrates that um but yeah and then in contrast and and how certain migrants are um oh, i can't remember his name but the the the, this, the guy from senegal was it, who who climbed up the um the front of the building where there was a baby dangling from from the fourth balcony and um i've actually stayed in the building next door (laughs) but um he climbed up the um and, and saved the baby and immediately was given french citizenship and an apprenticeship at the french fire service um so you know the good the good migrant who saves who saves baby french citizens um and then in the film um that i was looking at in that which is called paris stalingrad um there is a lot of the the the, the, the it follows the trajectory of a young asylum seeker who speaks arabic and writes very very beautiful arabic poetry um <coughs> um but also how things are closed off to him because actually his his french it, it, it is emergent um and the um, alignment of um intelligence really with, with you know the, the the glottophobia of 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 other of other languages and if you don't have that sort of fluent fluency in french then somehow you are intrinsically lacking um in 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 some sorts of ways
0: um yeah yeah ju- ju- Claire, just 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 uh, just to just to name him um um Mamoudou Gassama
2: Mamoudou Gassama
0: um, Ma- a, 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 a Malian um, uh, uh, as as uh, son papier um and i uh, nothing really to add to what claire said but I, but i think what's implicit in that is we're talking about language as um a means of access to um to french citizenship um which which you know, which, which is you know an approach often hardened under um under right wing governments but it's linked in as claire's saying to an additional and unspoken um ethnic policing as well. So as, as Claire said, that, that book, Ils sont devenus Francais, um looks specifically at the um the ease with which certain people arriving um are integrated into French culture. But the flip side of that is that particularly um those coming from North and Sub Saharan Africa are less easily integrated as we continue to see in French society now. classic example of that um, in the cultural sphere is the emergence of what was called the the Burr novel um, in in the 1980s, so a novel written by um, a young generation of writers, uh, most of whose parents or um, grandparents had had migrated to to France from North Africa. Um, But that category of the Burr novel became like a sort of quarantine space, which meant that... French-born authors writing in France, educated in France, being published in France, um, were not admitted um, to the canon of French literature. And and I think what you see with the case of of um of of Burr fiction, the Burr novel, um, is a literary illustration of that policing um, along ethnic lines, which. For part of us, for part of um, was a major part of what we were exploring in the text, and you know, and I think you've mentioned Claire's chapter on transnational fraternité. Um, A lot of what interested us were were the the blind spots and the paradoxes of French republican universalism, um, which which claim uh, which claims to be inclusive, but uh, often is anything but.
1: No, I think this is actually maybe a really good to kind of jump around what we discussed, we might discuss. That might be kind of a good moment to broach that effort kind of intellectually to kind of expand it. And you mentioned kind of, as well as your own kind of thoughts on on fraternité that you might want to kind of recap for the listener. There's also some very interesting texts that you mentioned kind of, obviously very famously frère migrant. but this kind of idea to situate fraternité as what you, I think, call the kind of late add-on to liberté and égalité. In the origins of the three, which might be a fun kind of linchpin to start with, but there's kind of this interesting way um, that it keeps expanding.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was it was really interesting going through that sort of genealogy of how it's been grappled with and and, and, and that, you know, how it, it becomes unwieldy, actually, fraternité. It's like this effective thing that they can't really legislate for and yet it becomes compelling and yet, and then it's difficult and then it's appropriated by, um, you know, by, I think, Morin, Edgar Morin is very, very, um incisive on the the two different sorts of sort of open and closed fraternité um and and the closed the, the you know the the the, the far-right nationalist fraternity that, that 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 uses it as a as as a barrier you know that, that, that there's there is a racially pure fraternity which was articulated under Pétain certainly and then um and then sort of it, 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 it opening out as this gesture and, and, and the figure of Cédric Heroux um, and, um, and, and that particular community um, in La Roya, which has got a kind of radical left um, tradition, but actually challenging that Republican value, it going to the Conseil Constitutionnel and actually saying, no, there is, you know, it is, it is a right, it is constitutionally Republican to extend that fraternal. Hand across the border, if you are actually helping um, and, and that's actually a really significant moment for this sort of universalized republican thinking and I we here to greta, I mean just to i mean we'll get on to it later, but perpetually when you're looking at how the the uh, the racial inequality in France is blindsided by the universal republican notion of equality you know it's refusal to engage in in any kind of um demographic analysis or or to um to, to to give any weight to what might be actually sort of very structural racism because the republic can't see it um and I think uh, Chong's chapter talks about that very much in in relation to to Marseille um and I, th- I think you know, it was a kind of challenge not to. I mean, thinking through fraternity, and I always end up moving towards Paul Gilroy's articulation of conviviality, which I find very, very compelling. And the idea, and I think that sort of underlines a bit what we mean by the transnational, is that that the, the you know that there is an exchange. There's a, a transactional, not in a negative sense, but a, a way in which cultures learn from each other through in their in the way that they they they, they connect to each other and that convivial that living you know together that 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 working together is actually something really really you know um really important um and and really um without sort of you know i'm, I'm not advocating for some sort of universal sense of fraternity. it's in that it's in that multiplicity of the encounter that things become really interesting um yeah and there's possibly
1: a link sorry to we're you going to say something charles i was just going to say mention Toussaint l'ouverture but i don't know if that's possibly who you want to mention you
0: you read my mind <laughs> good, yeah. um because what, what i think's excellent about claire's chapter um and you alluded to this is that fraternity is often the rather poor relation of liberté égalité fraternité um, there's been some, for, for obvious reasons, because because of the three, it's the only one that's overtly gendered. Um, there's been some interest in, in it um, since the sixties, really, from a from a um, feminist perspective and thinking about equivalents like sorority. Um, but historically, it's it's very much been um, be, be, been sidelined. Um, that said, um, and I think this is a point we we try to make throughout the book: um, liberté and égalité themselves merit a similar degree of scrutiny um, in terms of their um, transnational complexity. And as you've just said, Amber, um, we take those concepts back to the beginning. We take them back to the 1790s. Um, and um, both liberty and égalité, and obviously fraternité as well, um, have got to be understood in relation to the para- parallel revolution that was occurring um, alongside the French Revolution in what was then Saint-Domingue and what would become independent Haiti 80- in 1804. And key figures like Toussaint Louverture, as, as, as the leader of the, the, the Haitian Revolution, um, are precisely taking a notion um, like liberté um, and pushing it to limits unimagined in France at the time. Because liberté in his eyes and remember he was more interested in emancipation from enslavement than he was um, in independent in post-colonial independence Liberté, in his eyes was to do with throwing off the uh, the shackles of of of, of enslavement um, which would then lead to égalité, um between the french and the formerly enslaved and the free colored population of, of the island so What you have in Haiti in the 1790s, culminating in independence in in, in 1804, um, is a radical statement of liberté, égalité, fraternité, um, much more radical than the one um, for which the bourgeois revolution in France was, um, was a vehicle. But we can only understand that once we reflect on What's seen as a national motto or devise in transnational terms, and when we don't take the Haitian Revolution as some sort of exotic sideshow um, or addendum to um, the French Revolution, but we see it as a parallel revolutionary process with its own dynamics, and which, crucially, at certain points in the 1790s, particularly under the, under the Convention, was driving revolutionary activity in France um, and sort of unsettling that 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 sense of center and periphery.
1: No, completely, and also I don't know if this is a relevant link, but um, kind of in a way that also relates back to what to what Claire was saying about how the understanding of the terms liberte, egalite, and fraternite have evolved kind of over the years, and kind of mostly in kind of maybe the last century. Um, David Scott's conscripts of modernity as a reading of kind of that era is so interesting in terms of how we so kind of to recap, I suppose the the basic argument that he makes it's that our post-colonial understanding of the narrative of kind of overcoming colours in a way that is actually kind of unhelpful, Um, maybe what was being said in the Black Jacobin and things like this, or yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And that's kind of interesting in terms of how that relates to Liberté, Egalité and Fraternité in this idea of the original sense and the ways that now, the ways that they can be expanded or pushed, and also this idea that I think he calls it the romance of colonial overcoming might be understood as the tragedy of, and I can't remember his exact terms, but the tra- that he just reframes it as a tragic form as, a, as opposed to. And I suppose that's what's happening with fraternité a bit in your chapter um, and the note that you end on, which is not, which I think kind of balances quite well the kind of hindrances or the kind of inbuilt limits to this framework when thinking about kind of extending across borders and and kind of contemporary. Population flows and the ways that they're being managed. Um.
2: Yeah, yeah, it, it ends on quite a mordant note, really. Um, <laughs> just um, and 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 absolutely, because I think France is not, um, and and uh, perhaps Europe more broadly is, is, is struggling, and 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 is um, it it's, it is a work in, it is a work in progress, and I think that you. Have yet yeah, major issues there around the issue of of, of asylum, hospitality, cultures of hospitality um, in contemporary in contemporary France.
0: I think um, bringing in David Scott's conscripts of modernity is it, 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 which we I don't think we talk about in the book, but it, but 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 it's extremely useful um, for the reason you mentioned, Amber, in, in that. Scott's argument, you know, it, it, it's quite a focused argument around C.L.R. James mm. and the way in which C.L.R. James rewrites the Black Jacobins between 1938 and, um, and 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 1963. But I think that speaks precisely into, into the context that, that, the, that the two of you are, are talking about, because precisely his argument is that um, James, who is a witness of and and, an agent in processes of decolonization ends up in the early sixties with um, a a view of history, which is no longer linear um, and which is no longer celebratory um, as would often seem to be the case when when, when we look at historiography, a popular historiography and and sort of it's channeling into politics of of, of the French revolution. And I think you're quite right that that his argument there is that um, the romanticism of um, of anti-colonialism tips into um, a much more tragic view of post-coloniality, and and I, and I think you can track that back to to Haiti again because Nick Nesbit, um, who's written brilliantly on on the Haitian Revolution, says, look, this was one hundred and fifty years premature um, as a, an illustration of what Francophone post-coloniality might look like, but crucially at the same time and will be commemorating this in two years' time. Um, it's also a classic example of of neocolonial intervention, because what happens in 1825? Well, the French will only recognise um, Haitian independence in return for a massive crippling debt, um, which Haiti does not pay off till the 1940s, and which undoubtedly plays a key role in the country's um, continuing uh, un- underdevelopment. So I think you're quite right. Looking at and and yeah, you know, this is where a number of key um Francophone thinkers like ashi Lumbembe, I think uh, 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 allow us to to explore this this um strand really cogently, thinking about um the wake of empire as being a moment of post-colonial tragedy um allows us sort of to reflect on on a number of the debates around the afterlives of empire and ethnicity. Um, in in France today um and, and the, the, these unresolved issues which we, which I think can be taken back not just to the moment of decolonization but also to um, the colonial period itself.
1: yeah, definitely. And I think maybe this is a nice moment to broach kind of transnational methods if we were kind of on an ethics an ethics moment kind of moment a moment ago there's there's kind of an, a methodological counterpart that runs in terms of quite, I mean, Claire, you mentioned Brodel and the long durée, I think in your, or maybe perhaps it was Charles in the introduction to temporalities, that would make more sense, but it was mentioned definitely in the main introduction, but this, the dual notion of the long durée and the histoire croisée as kind of the counterpart to this going back before kind of a rift between colonial and post-colonial in, a term, in the terms of modern European colonialism and thinking bit in a bit more of a nuanced manner about how these kind of interweavings both in like the exercise of kind of a concrete form of power by France over other places for years that precede and succeed formal European colonialism but also kind of a slightly more subversive form of exchange between cultures so I don't know if those are two key terms that might be interesting to just to discuss, maybe in relation to any any particular essays, I can have a think about which ones, or if you just had immediate thoughts thereupon.
0: I have immediate thoughts, Claire, if that's okay.
2: Go for it, Charles. <laughs> so look, Amber,
0: we, we might talk in a bit about now how people, how we hope people will use this book, um, and um, who our sort of imagined readers were. One one thing we, Claire and I, talked about quite a lot particularly in relation to the introduction, were, were disciplinary histories. And we we really didn't want to get bogged down in them, quite frankly, because students of French and those outside French studies are probably not particularly interested in them. Um, that said, we are very interested in them. And if you look at French studies as a field which has evolved over the past, you know, I suppose 120, 130 years in, in the English-speaking world, um, what characterised it from the outset and what persisted for a long time was a certain methodological nationalism, um, which is partly to do with language um, and um, the, the, the prescriptive understandings of, of the French language, um, which replicates certain um, practices, as or Claire mentioned, of, of glottophobia, but also to do with the object of study. And that idea that for a long time, the object of study was literary, it was canonical, um, and it was French. Um, now, for us, transnational, um, a, a transnational French studies is a fundamental challenge to those foundational assumptions. Um, and I think what we're asking people to do is, is, is to think transnationally um to, to ha and that's why methodology it i is important. It's partly to do with perspective, but it's also to do with the nuts and bolts of how we actually analyze um instances of 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 Frenchness. Going back, I think, to to Bill Marshall's excellent work in the French Atlantic on, on diasporic Frenchness and and th- this idea of Frenchness that, that transcends the boundaries of the hexagon that Douglas Smith um analyses so 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 compellingly. Um, in the volume. And f- for me, that has two um, fundamental dimensions, and you've mentioned both of them there. Um, one is clearly geographical, and it's thinking of, when, when we talk about histoire quasi, it's thinking about the French nation within much broader frames, um, which can be European, which can be Mediterranean, um, or which can be transatlantic, or um, which can be variously transcolonial so um, we, we, we need to think about the, 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 those entanglements in spatial and geographical terms but crucially amber um, we also need to reflect on them in in chronological terms and we I think You've mentioned this already, you can't think about France transnationally, whether that's in terms of um, migration, whether that's in terms of ethnicity, whether that's in terms of of language, um, without looking at the ways in which the colonial, for example, is always already present in the post-colonial. And there's not this sense of a clear meridian. Um, uh, You know, in in, in the 19th century, there was that that idea of a colonial meridian which split the Ancien Régime Empire from the um, Republican Empire, you know, around 18. Eighteen thirty um, invasion of, um, of of Algeria, as if things started afresh. Clearly, they didn't, because there were still a number of ancien régime colonies: Martinique, Guadeloupe, Guyana, Reunion Island, which still, in the twenty first century, remain constitutionally part of France. Some people would see them as as, as neo colonies. And then that meridian is also there in in between fifty eight and sixty two. In some people's minds, um, this was the end of empire, clean break. Um, let's let, let's move on. Um, as a post-colonial nation-state, as we make clear in the book, and as you, Amber, have made clear in your reading of it, um, we simply can't um, operate in those ways because the, the lived reality um, of 21st century France and also the way in which that reality is freighted in um, cultural production suggests that the past is hauntingly always there.
1: Yeah, and I thought that was a really nice... Again, I'm trying to remember who mentioned it but i thought there was a really nice kind of re- new maybe new, neologism that's quite useful which is paracolonialism which i hadn't heard before reading the book and i don't it's, know if it was um, who that mentioned it's,
0: it. i can't remember who cites it but it's it, it's in um uh, liverpool university press is. book but it's oana Pan, Pan, panaiti who who, um, who, who 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 who, um, who develops that um and and who's now working on um, questions of whiteness in France um, and and reading whiteness through particularly a, a, a post-colonial lens. But I, I agree with you, really, really helpful so it avoids helpful the phrase.
1: temporality to yeah. neo-colonialism or the yeah. post, you know, it kind of gets rid of that kind of linear idea that then just actually confuses a, a way of un- or kind of trying to analyse critically what, what, what happens in terms of geopolitics. So with our remaining time, I don't know if there's a, a logical jump to make to any of the, the places that we or any of the essays that we discuss that I kind of we discuss that we might discuss.
2: Um, I mean, it's worth considering actually just perhaps while we're talking about chronology that we were very keen not to make this um, an ultra contemporary um Um, collection of essays and and we're very um which is why we've got you know simon gaunt's wonderful chapter about you know french before the nation but also bill's chapter bill marshall's wonderful chapter on prehistory um and um and then and and we've got um richard as well talking about 19th century um uh, different formulations of, of um, challenging things around cosmopolitanism and, and I think that, that having that prehistory chapter in which perhaps Charles can talk about a bit more but it, it's it's really um, it was an important thing for us I think to ensure that we were not um, giving a snapshot really of 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 the transnational in the present although that is obviously kind of part of our um, mission but that, that, that actually there is a sense in which we can read back um does that make sense too no definitely
0: um yeah and I, I, in some ways i think that was our response to a real risk in in french studies of, of a drift towards presentism um claire and i are both modernists but but we both know that we can't do the work we want to do without having real historical um depth and and uh, an awareness um both of us as as you've gathered uh are um are very interested in those afterlives of of um colonialism and empire um, in, in France. And Claire's mentioned um Simon Gaunt's chapter and Bill Marshall's chapter. Um there are Jackie Dutton, for example, had a, had has a chapter on um transnational utopianism. Um which takes us back to the eighteenth century, but then jumps forward to the um to, to the twenty first century um so I think that that chronological range was really important for us because we, because we were saying to to all of our colleagues really in french studies um whichever period they work in and and um perhaps whatever their their objects of study um we hope this speaks to you and 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 is relevant to you and can be can be factored into the sorts of conversations you're having um with with your students. What's fascinating about um, Simon and Bill's chapters is obviously we're talking about a situation long before the foundation of the um the nation state. Um, you know, in Bill's work on 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 prehistory, um, we're 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 reflecting on a whole series of 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 tropes which are through for example the discovery of the caves in lesco in france central to contemporary french identity but paradoxically taking us back to 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 a time when the nation as a formation um meant could mean nothing um and and so um it's that that sort of you were talking about the paracolonial and the the sort of limitations of the terms we use i my concern is that the the transnational also has those limitations because the transnational means nothing without the pre-national and it means nothing without the post-national whether that's a reality or 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 an aspiration and that pre-national through the transnational to the post-national very much captures i think what we were trying to do chronologically in the collection
1: That's a really another very interesting framework. I feel that there's actually a few things we could jump onto from that, one of which would be this idea of kind of regional identities within France that we haven't really mentioned, uh, kind of in detail, but in our pre discussions was kind of, at least a focal point. So I don't know if that's interesting. Another's obviously, I think it came through one of my favourite essays, Yasser El-Hariri's um, work on Asiya Jabbar. I think it's because I I studied her a lot because that's the main francophone person you could study when I was an undergraduate here. And so I found this kind of palipsis, palimpsestic reading of a palimpsestic writer being Jabbar and kind of working very closely with the kind of Arabic or with at least an extensive knowledge of the pre Islamic and Islamic historiography himself really opened up a very interesting kind of series of questions in my mind at least about Jabbar and her kind of semi-controversial status within the French literary canon and this idea of it as a transnational or as a kind of we could use the Spivak thing of native informant type thing and how that works It maybe it's not correct but this kind of really interesting kind of role that she occupies within within at least anglophone French literary studies um I don't so those were kind of my two or we could talk about how it's being read I can edit this bit out obviously but also how the collection's being read those are the three things that I was trying to keep in my mind while you were speaking but there's also kind of a logical connection in the remaining time of maybe getting onto that question as well of how you envisage the collection being read by students or being taught by teachers I suppose
2: I mean I just I would say Yasser's chapter is probably one of the most challenging in 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 the book um and I'm really pleased that it's got so much Arabic in there it's actually quite um um you know it's really it's really important but I was also thinking um Yasser wrote a very beautiful essay for PMLA about is it just F italicized where he's challenging always um um, it's it's worth a read, um, but but challenging, the, the, yeah, the francophone, and um, I mean, I think I said sort of in passing, we're very much transnational French studies, not transnational francophone studies, um, and that that's an important distinction. But he's challenging in that chapter, Jaber, and he's challenging things around. There's so much interesting work actually going on around translation, and and translation as a um, in, in in a decolonial frame. Um, at the moment um and and the violence of translation actually um so I think he there's the, the, the things around there that are again where we hit against almost like the limits of our own transnational frame that that you know we want to be sort of pushing more towards um these, these kind of radical decolonial readings of, of of things which perhaps the transnational doesn't give us space to do um but but um but yeah Charles.
0: So, no I yeah, couldn't agree more with, with what, what Claire's outlining there. Yasser wrote a book, again for Liverpool University Press, um, 2018, called Pacifist Invasions, mm-hmm. Arabic translation, which Claire's just mentioned, and the post-Francophone um, lyric. And for me, that that was a really important um, in, intervention in, in, in French studies. Going back to some of the issues you mentioned at the beginning, Amber, a, around um, linguistic prescription, and um opening up our understanding of of how french not only exists diglossically with other languages but how those other languages um have progressively and this is over a number of centuries not not just in recent years have have, have progressively intermingled um with um with the french language so um i too um i'm really pleased that that, that yes's chapter is um is in the collection and you know f- how would one teach that to to students well the way i'd go in is to talk about asiegeba as we haven't mentioned the academie française yet <laughs> but um but but um uh as as a member of the um the, the academie française um supposedly functioning um, as part of this, this bastion protecting the French language. But somebody whose work is um a very radical intervention um in dialogue with Arabic literature, um, and and considering um those those translingual crossings. And and I, and I think um that then allows you to 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 reflect much more broadly on the often rather sort of parodied version of the Académie Française, which is really a deeply um um contradictory institution in that uh, Daniela Ferrière, Francois Cheng, Michael Award, I mean <laughs> Um you I'm know sure. there, 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 yeah. there there are a number of authors who 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 fit into this pacifist invasion idea who are central to it now obviously then we have to ask ideological questions is this to do with the recuperative power of of the French states through its institutions to um to neutralize difference or is it to do with the um the, the, the perpetuation of that difference in the heart of key institutions which will then um, progressively evolve yeah I suspect it's a bit of each
1: mm-hmm. me too and I know, I always... but,
0: but Amber, I do want to talk about Brittany but go on sorry sorry. <laughs> no, it's only
1: a really small comment but I always like the image of I think someone once said self-inoculating methods kind of using the med- medis, medical term it just it to me it's like a brilliant way of understanding how kind of institutions like and manage difference but in a way that just kind of mind-bogglingly actually strengthens kind of national identity and hegemony and that was kind of we we pre-discussed also that to do with museums and to do with the commemoration of and memorialization of slavery but this kind of idea of yeah benchmarks within a national identity now having to be having to do certainly with French actions but also having to do with kind of this. These monuments to difference that are French themselves. So then it's it's an extremely confusing, like the Musée de l'Homme that became Musée du Quai Branly, and and all these things. Um, no, just you, just
2: as completely as an aside, you might. Did you know that the Prefecture de police have banned the commemoration or any kind of manifestation on um, on Tuesday? You know, the little for, for the seventeenth of October. So the, the inheritor of Papon has actually said, no, you cannot commemorate the. Uh, the seventeenth of October. There's a, the a plaque on the Pont Saint Michel. Um, they've they've prohibited oh. any gathering.
0: But it's I gather just, the, the gathering will still it will take indeed
2: place. <laughs> take place. But, so. I
0: think with probably greater numbers than before. So. <laughs> I'm just sorry I'm not in Paris.
2: Absolutely.
0: And <laughs> um, can I just pick up on that that that, that regional question um, yes, please, you, you so. raised? Yes, um, Claire and I will both have views on gaps here and and regrets yes. and the, 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 the there are some gaps in the book because several contributors fell by the wayside for for various reasons um there are other gaps because we didn't have space and um one gap that is there um we allude to it in in the introduction you picked up on this is that discussion around um the the, the regions of france um. Now, Robert Blackwood, in his chapter on Frenches on walls and online, talks about um the overseas departments and regions, um particularly Guadeloupe and um and uh, and, but well, it's, it's not a Drôme, but but New Caledonia as well. But we, I, I would really have liked to have something on on um on Brittany. Um, not least because I, I I've lived in Brittany and, and worked worked on Brittany quite a lot. um we mentioned and um heather williams's brilliant book postcolonial Brittany, um in in the the introduction um one of the reasons I'd like to have something on um what some people call regions, what some people call you know that they, there's still a nationalist movement in Brittany, what some people see as as emerging um small nations. Um, Basque country as well as as is an example there um, is it allows us to again to to rethink the geography of the nation and the relationship between not just the national and the transnational but the the national and the the, the subnational and clearly the colleagues working on transnational Spanish studies had had similar debates around particularly um, Catalonia but also Galicia and the and, and and the Basque country and what what would have interested me there. Um, would have been a chapter looking at a space like Brittany um, in a a transnational frame. On the one hand, this reflection on um, national aspirations of of subnational spaces, but also on those transnational connections um, between a region like Brittany um, and other Celtic regions, for example, um, which, which crucially bypass. Paris, which um, which which bypass um the um the, the nation state. So you can look at links between Brittany and obviously Wales and, and Ireland and and Scotland. And so you get an alternative um transnational solidarity between um regions or or, 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 or between uh, small nations, um, which again allows us to rethink the French nation state in very different ways. Now that chapter isn't there. But crucially, as an intervention, this volume is also a provocation. And I, and I think what we're asking readers to do, and and uh, those who teach um, to, to 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 pick up on, is how does the direction of travel that we've tried to um, capture in this volume, how might that um, invite other forms of reflection, other? um types of intervention and how might transnationalism shape more broadly um the sorts of work we do in research and teaching in french studies
1: yeah no i think that's that's definitely at least kind of from my reading one of the things that it made me think about hence my own because i work a bit just as a quick aside um on well I, my second chapter is on Leopold Sangor. and one of the things that and his poetry i kind of read it as pastoral poetry but kind of one of the things that i found so interesting when i was reading all his self anthologized kind of essays in the Liberté is he consistently makes the comparison between the Serres which are kind of the the, it's the ethnicity to which he belongs and the Breton so for like multiple reasons that are fascinating there is this kind of dialogue even though everyone thinks of him as you know this kind of quintessential kind of Parisian assimilé a lot of his self-framing is a to be to do with being a peasant and the way he relays that kind of in his rhetoric is often through analogy to because he Kind of terms his ethnicity the salty people because they they live um, kind of in the region of the, the delta region of Senegal so kind of the rivers are all saltwater rivers because it travels inland very slowly and there's a large salt industry there which obviously has a very direct link with Brittany um, so there's like the, it kind of it already forced me to think about in structural terms about the ways these kind of links and again it's kind of going back to a David Scott esque point which is. We sometimes accidentally posit either colonialism and hexagonal France internally, as in I'm also guilty of it, as separate things when there's a communication going on constantly in a way that just sensitivities aren't always aligned to that just do circumvent urban spaces and and kind of capital cities. And there can just be a direct communication kind of intellectually, that is. through ideas that don't that kind of does just miss out this urban hotspot and doesn't have to do with kind of physically being in a place like paris to kind of do to undertake an exchange of ideas um C-
0: can i give you another really concrete example of this that that would have formed a fantastic chapter um and uh, again it, it, it's another lap another gap um we we could have had something on transnationalism and um environmentalism um and um, again didn't have space for it. But but the had we commissioned something on that, I probably would have looked to to the Larzac protests in, in the nineteen sixties into the seventies, um, which precisely illustrate, Amber, what you're just talking about. Um so um protests over the militarization of, of um a uh, a rural area. There have been subsequent ones, you know, uh, um if you think about the Airport that was proposed near near Nantes, but it became this this rural site that was a transnational location of protest, which brought together um, Bretons, brought together um, Native Americans, brought together the Kanak, um, brought together um, the um, those active in, in in the civil rights movement in in, in the states. So um, you're quite right that um, there is a. Uh, there, there are rural lo- locations for for transnational encounter as well, and arguably some of the the most radical in- instances of this are precisely outside um, major metropolitan areas. So yeah, no, it, it, it's a really it's a really good point, um, and it's you know I I think again it's something that that I hope people who look at the book might want to might want to explore further.
1: I pursue it. I'm sure there's really really interesting archival things thereupon as well in, in regional archives as well so no, I think there's so many interesting kind of lines of inquiry
2: um yeah La Roya also oh, I was just you you know again with, uh, which has got that transnational sense of solidarity and and, and stuff like that that comes and is very bedded and wedded to it. it its its regional um location sure. yeah
1: and I think Robert Blackwood mentions bled because he talks about kind of the relative kind of um the, the lack of mixing in his kind of his contrast between kind of Creole and Arabic. And he says bled is one of the only of these words that's been so thoroughly incorporated within French, meaning countryside itself and coming from the Arabic. So I again found that quite interesting as kind of this kind of other network of linkages that is going on to do with kind of rurality and um, homeland. And that being a word that's spoken in French, but not French to signify that. I don't know. I'm not sure if anyone has other things to say about that. So.
2: Oh, it, it can be used quite disparagingly as well. I mean, the, 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 the sense of, um, there's a, a wonderful, uh, my, my friend, was who is Lebanese, but grew up in Clichy-Soubois, and, and he talks about the the, the sort of, the, the, when he's in, in Lebanon, um, he, it's the, he's the, he has the impeccable French, and yet when he's um, back in France, in metropolitan France, with all the "quote unquote" stuff about that—that um, that he is from the blue, you know—that that, that, that he, he he is he's ruralized, effectively by by um, by having a by having a Lebanese accent, for example.